Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner Evan Preparis. I have a different Conquer the Gauntlet pro on the line with me. Today I have Matt Willis. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So some highlights about Matt Willis, if you're not familiar with who he is. Um, the big one, and one of the reasons why we have him on the podcast right now, is uh, he just finished second in the pro co-ed team division of North American Obstacle Course Racing Championships. Uh, he's one of 20 people to compete back-to-back, essentially Spartan Beast and Ultra Beast championship OCRs in one weekend in both Vermont and Tahoe. He's got a second-place finish at a 12-hour uh, Hurricane Heat event. Uh, he's been uh, on the uh, end. Actually, that well, that that one is uh, uh, not a Hurricane Heat. That one's actually Joe Decker's The Suck. Oh, sorry. A little bit. It's, yeah. it's an interesting one, though. I didn't. Yeah, that makes more sense. Okay. Um, <laughs> Was on the uh, NBC Team Challenge, uh, the Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge, as one of their elite competitors and team leader, and has multiple podium finishes spanning five different OCR series. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been on the block a couple times. Yeah. But before we get talking to Matt a little bit more, uh, this episode is brought to you by, we're going to give a shout out to two sponsors, Marina Sport and Mud Gear. So if you're not familiar with Marina Sport, it's medical grade compression. If you watched North American Obstacle Course Racing Championships, you saw it all over the podium. Um, comes in black, red, blue, a couple different colors. Uh, I like the shorts. They're actually the only shorts I've worn for World's Toughest Mudder that didn't cause chafage. And I wore them for all 24 hours. And you know, I've done multiple 24-hour events, always get some sort of chafing. But mud ge- I mean, uh, Marina works great to prevent that. And then mud gear, again, if you were at North American OCR Championships, the number of mud gear socks on the course and on the podium is through the roof. And they are such a great Damn brand. Everyone on every podium was wearing mud gear. Yeah. I mean, great product. It's durable. It's comfortable. It looks good. I'm a huge fan. I'm actually wearing one of their uh, race jerseys right now as we're recording this, which is super nice. I know like they're, everyone's big on them as so- a sock company. But if you haven't checked out their jerseys, I would seriously check them out. It's like it's thin enough where it would feel comfortable running, but it's thick enough that it's going to prevent you from getting scratched. So I know some of the other jersey companies, they're real thick. And for me, I think they're kind of like too hot to wear while running. But uh, yeah, Mudgear's yeah, the Mudgear shirts are actually one of the very, very few that I would that I actually wear training down here in South Texas, you know, during the July and August months. So they're 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 pretty legit. I really do enjoy them. Right on. And then give me a couple of thoughts on Marina before we get into the meat of the episode here. I've been using Marina gear for years. Uh, it's it's just the the best of the best of everything, really. I mean, uh, training in recovery wise, just that very nice tight recovery for just kind of keeping the lactic acid out of your muscles when you're post race, especially if you're going to be you know doing you know, double or triple duty like this past weekend for recovery is, you know, absolutely a must. And then just during the race, it's great to have just muscle stability along with, you know, like you said earlier, no chafing, anything like that. They don't move around. They don't hold any, you know, water. And 
Yeah, I, I have a pair of shorts that uh, that I that I still have that I still train and race in. I've had them for five years, and they still have pretty much the same compression as a new pair, which is ridiculous. That is awesome. And if you want to know more about Marina Sport, I wrote an article on Mud Run Guide about them. I think it was like a year ago. So you're gonna have to Google Marina Sport Mud Run Guide, and you can pull up a lot of the facts and data about Marina Sport and what they can provide. All right, let's move on to the meat of the episode, why we get, why we have you on. We're here to talk about North American Obstacle Course Racing Championships, which as we're recording this, it is Wednesday, so it was a couple days ago this past weekend. Um, but before we get into that, I want to touch on, so Matt, what championship races have you done before? Just to set a baseline. I've, I've gone the, the gamut with, uh, I mean, Spartan and OCR World Championships kind of since the inception of that one, actually. So I've been doing Spartans uh, since, like, 2013, 2014, and OCR World Championships since the first one in Ohio back in 2014 as well. And I've, I've raced literally every one, and uh, what was it, uh, U.S. OCR Champs last year down in Texas, and uh, NORAM right now, and I'll also be in London in two months doing OCR Worlds there. Awesome. Now, for NORAM, what events did you participate in? Uh, I ran the gamut. I was uh, all three, the 3K, the 15K, and the team relay and the, the pro division for all. Right on. So describe some of the – for those of us that weren't there, uh, describe some of the obstacles that they encountered that, you know, you had not seen before or kind of were more a little uh, championship unique. It's it, the the biggest thing that really stands out are going to be like you know obviously all of the different rigs that we had there. Uh, Legaf being a huge game changer in yeah, for for the 15k especially and in the team race. Uh, those ones are just great because I love just how kind of new dynamic they are. Because in a lot of in, in a lot of the race series and all that, the the obstacles themselves are pretty static here or there. And occasionally you'll get like a couple grip grip obstacles here, um, here and there, but they're not really like either a that large, that many lanes, or just that drastically different from each other. Like the the Mudgear Force Five rig, that was you know a bunch of different grips that were all swinging with a wheel in the middle that swung and spun at the same time. Ah, oh, that thing was just a freaking blast to watch and to do. Because it just it made you have to do a lot of just inertia, body awareness, management that a lot of people don't really do much of in races in general. So it it just it challenged a lot of people in a, in a lot of different ways. And uh, and Legaf, I, I wish I could properly pronounce the entire name of that <laughs> obstacle, but <laughs> but it's it's great because it just. Again, it throws you into body awareness, how you can manipulate yourself on a steel pipe and then transitioning to the wood and then back to steel. And especially on this incarnation of it, because what a lot of people don't know is that the uh, it, it, it was technically the same obstacle uh, that was in OCR World Championships last year in Canada, but their delivery for that obstacle actually didn't even physically show up until about 
18 hours before the 3K, so they had already had to just go to hardware stores, buy the parts, and literally build that obstacle from scratch the day before the 3K, which is why it was different. Like, it didn't have, like, the flange mounting points at the bottom to put your feet on the first uh, pipe for the transition and all that. So they... They, they they made some things happen at that venue that were just absolutely magical with some of those obstacles, too. I can't give that crew enough props. Yeah, I talked to Marco the morning of the 3K, and he was like, he's like, we finished the obstacle like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> like it was, And like the 3K was literally starting in about, you know, 10 minutes from when I saw him. So, I mean, they really f- finished it just right up to the line. Um, did a great job there. And for those of you who are not tracking what Legaffe is, You've probably seen it all over Facebook, but it's basically three poles that pivot at the bottom. The first one's a steel pole, the middle one's a wooden pole, and the third one is a steel pole also. Um, the middle pole, the wooden one, has hockey pucks on it that you can use as grips or foot rests. And basically, you you kind of need to throw your body weight to one side and force the pivot point at the bottom to, to fall over, and then you make a transition to the next pole. So, Good stuff. Yeah, Good so stuff. love that obstacle. So let me get some of your thoughts on the 3K race. So 3K, short, fast, uh, obstacle dense. What were your what did you think of the 3K? I thought the 3K was designed extraordinarily well. Now, when when I did the 3K, I actually wasn't going out there to kind of give it my all. I just uh I I registered for that more or less just to kind of get, you know, keep my legs nice and fresh and also just kind of go out there and touch some of the new obstacles to kind of get ready for the 15K and for the team race. But in in terms of density, how it was laid out, I think they did a very good job of getting some sections where runners could start to put out some speed and then where obstacle specialists would be able to to catch up because they had a few sections where it was like in the beginning where it was just a couple walls here and there and then just blitz running as as quick as you can and then coming down to just break you real fast with a heavy carry. I think the wreck bag was like the third obstacle just damn near out of the gate after just like a kilometer right there and then just hitting you with another couple obstacles another two and then uh, i think like two gauntlets of like three or four obstacles just like right in a row and so i thought it was great because it was get the runners out in front and then let the let the strength in the obstacles guys really start to catch up and see if uh see if the runners gas themselves out too much in the beginning, so it, it was it was a real big mind game of how hard are you going to go out in front when you're climbing that mountain versus having having you know just the physical strength and all that capability to be able to handle those obstacles later in the race as well. So it, it wasn't just a fast race; it was also you you had to think about the output that you were really going to put out there. And so I think that really did, you know, uh, just kind of play in some of the competition in terms of who was going when, because you saw guys that were just like blitzing out of the gate, and then you didn't see them until like a heat later, damn near, because they killed themselves running up the mountain in the very beginning. Hmm. I love watching the three cat. I didn't run that one this year, and I love seeing you know people. It's high risk, high reward, right? So people are hitting obstacles, and they are they're going for it you know, trying to get across them as fast as they can. So you, sometimes you'll see people, you know, making small mistakes and slipping up, but you see the uh, pros really push themselves. Like, so for those of you who don't know, Ryan Atkins won about 12 to 15 seconds back was VJ Jones. And then third was, was it Mark Patras? I, I thought it was uh, Jesse Bruce that got third. Oh, Jesse Bruce. That's correct. I'm go, sorry. Yeah. 
Um, Jesse Bruce was third. I, I should have known that. Anyway, so Ryan Atkins crossed the line and collapses, uh, which you don't see very often because, uh, I mean, you just don't see him collapse very often at the end of a race. But the, then he the didn't get... cyborg. When does he ever collapse? Yeah, but then... The, so this is the crazy part. Not that just that he collapsed because... Um, I mean, I think that's happened before, but he was on the ground for, like, six minutes. Like, I think, like, the seventh or eighth place guy came across, the, or, like, a t- top ten came across, and he was, like, still laying on the ground. So, um, great job, VJ, for, I was apparently pushing him pretty hard, because uh, if he, I'm sure if he could have coasted it in towards the end, he probably would have. But, I mean, you can watch the recap video. I know Arnell has a video on OCR Tube, and then there's also the Mud Run Guide, or the OCRWC live stream of it. But, like, he comes off the wall, and it's, like, not even across the line yet and starts stumbling towards the floor. It's pretty it's pretty amusing to watch. Dang, I'm going to have to go back and check that out. Dang. Yeah. 3K, Fast Furious, and then you did the T... I'm sorry, the 15K on Saturday. Compare and contrast them for our listeners. Uh, I mean, just <clears throat> completely different mindset. 3K is churn and burn as fast and as hard as you possibly can, and just and hope you can get some obstacles done. Whereas the 15k, that's a lot more strategizing. You know that that that's a lot more finding the points where you're going to spend your energy and and either you know let someone go ahead of you for a little bit because you know you're going to catch them on the next uphill or uh, or or through the next obstacle gaps and things like that. So especially that there's just that initial death march, <laughs> that first two and a half miles. Because after the three k, uh, uh, my friends uh, Alex Walker and you know uh, uh, Mo from uh, Link Endurance and all that, we uh, we all actually summited. We went and climbed the mountain so we could kind of see what we were in store for up there to kind of check out some of the obstacles too. So when I was going up the the mountain on the fifteen k, I was I I just kind of kept looking at my watch every once in a while and just saying, oh, okay, I have 800 more feet to go. And so I kind of, you know, was looking at particular places where I knew that I could push the pace a little bit more on the hill because I knew I was going to be getting toward the top rather than looking at, you know, false peak number seven (laughs) with that thing. And then as soon as you get to the top, then it's just absolutely destroy yourself running that quick loop that's up there those obstacles and then coming down the mountain with the brakes on and still being at like a 430 mile is just absolutely insane i i I still am kind of trying to wrap my head around how how i was slowing myself down and still going that quick and i wasn't even the fastest guy which is even crazier than that yeah, I don't know how I hate that like super aggressive downhill running where you're running at like almost to the point where your legs can't even keep up with your body. Um, yeah, I yeah, do I not like that. I, I'm not a good like descender. Fall with style. That, yeah. That's all it is. I just let gravity do its thing and put my feet where they need to go. Yeah, that that hill or that mountain rather. For those who don't know, Stratton was in Stratton, Vermont, and they just announced it will be in Stratton again next year, uh, weekend of August 10th. So. If you missed it this year, you can head back over there next year. And if you loved climbing that mountain, you can come back for round two. So. <laughs> yeah, there are so many people who have who, who loved loved climbing that mountain. Loved it. Yeah. So, what were your thoughts on the on the course layout in general? Did you like? I mean, they basically took us to the top, took us to the bottom, took us to the top, uh, and then we kind of, I think we kind of like came like halfway down, a little bit back up, and then back to the end. 
yeah, the 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 middle section was what was kind of where everyone was really looking forward to because you had the as soon as you came down from the mountain, you know, you had a couple a uh, couple obstacles. Uh, I I really liked their kind of dragon's back plus uh, that what was, what was it called triumph where it was a couple it was a dragon's back jump and then it was a really far dragon's back jump followed by like a Tarzan swing to a cargo climb. That was yep. really cool. I liked how that one just had multiple parts, and it actually increased in difficulty through the obstacle. Um, and then as soon as you as soon as you came down from that hill, the quarter pipe, and you hit those heavy carries, then it was th- then you knew it was real because the pain was hitting you at that point. And uh, coming co- coming up and around, and that's when we started to hit some of the single track. And I thought that was very nicely laid out. It was a good dynamic terrain. You didn't really know what was being thrown at you. And then we hit the back. <laughs> what was it like the back third, where they found two more mountain climbs for us at the very end. Uh, I'm not not gonna lie. That 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 third climb, I, I looked at it. And I just kind of said to myself, "Freaking really." Really, really, we're doing this again. We, I'm at like, I'm at eight and a half miles already, and I got to climb this again. What's wrong with this? Yeah, that was kind of surprising. I like from looking at the course map, it's hard to tell where exactly all the uphills are. I mean, obviously, you can tell the first big one and the second big one, but that that third little guy, I was like, oh, I guess we're going back up again. That's unfortunate because <laughs> yeah. on the map, it kind of looked like you were just kind of going across the mountain, um, and then you got out there and you're like, no, no, we're going uphill. Yeah, no, no, you're 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 not doing the doing the easy route this time. It's a hey, thanks for that ballast. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And the dragon's back obstacle, which I believe is from Battle Race down in Louisiana, that actually got a lot of people. I mean, especially during the team race, where we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, a lot of people had their speed legs run up there, and then people froze at the, on the top of that thing. You know, yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a far it's completely mental because it's not a far jump. I mean, if you watch video of how far people are jumping, they're literally jumping like three feet, right? You can probably, you know, if that bar wasn't in the way, you could probably leap from platform to platform. The fir- um, yeah, the first one definitely. I mean, the I I don't know what it is about that obstacle that 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 gets people. I I think it's just the fact that you know they're they're jumping onto a wall regardless of the bar being there to grab onto. It's just like oh, I'm jumping onto something that won't keep me upright and i think that's kind of what gets some of the people um and did you see it, the video of uh blind pete and joey doing it oh oh you mean the thing that makes me feel useless as a human being in general because is <laughs> that awesome yeah totally saw it yeah for those of you who don't know blind pete uh obstacle course racer who's blind who have actually tried to get on the show and then it's just our scheduling didn't work out so we'll see if we can bring him on later but him and uh Essentially, his pacer or guide, Joey. I'm gonna butcher his last name. You know how to pronounce the last name, Mick. I'm uh, not going to attempt it at all. Okay, Joey. <laughs> um, so he basically goes up there with Pete and, like, you know, kind of straddles the two walls and kind of holds his hand a little bit and then guides him. But I mean, the dude's blind and makes the obstacle. So um, he's literally making blind leaps of faith. Yes. How awesome it, is that? It is impressive. And I also agree that second one. I got to the top and I was like, "Oh, this is bigger." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like as I was jumping, I was like, like, "This." Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. We're going. We're going like six or seven feet now with this jump. Got it. Yeah. So one of the other ones people were talking about a lot was uh, was a skitch or stitch, snitch. 
Skinny. I, I think I, I think it's Skitch because it's Skitchy. Uh, I think that's what they were going for with. It. I always want. Yeah, I always want to say Stitch, like from Lilo and Stitch. Oh but... no! Don't make so me the... do the voice. <laughs> so the obstacle is essentially two uh, horizontal poles, and you have you know two nunchucks with hooks on them, and you got to slide your way across them. So you sh- you shimmy like you know I don't know what is it seven feet eight feet uh, about I think it was like, like like probably like three or four feet per um nineteen twenties Looney Tunes barbell yeah it, well definitely more than three three or four feet it was well, closer yeah, to like eight, yeah a couple yeah. of them span together yeah yeah um so so that one was kind of tricky because if you waited till both of your hands got to the far end your hands would essentially like kind of like, one of them would hit that ball and kind of hurt your knuckles, and then the other one would slam into your other hand, and your hands would kind of get stuck there, and you'd actually have trouble making the transition. So yeah. luckily, the people I talked to on the 3K gave me some tips for that before I ended up doing the 15K, uh, basically keeping your hands separate so you can make the transition easier. And then on top of that, they said if you had trouble getting the second one off to make a complete transition, basically transition both hands to one post, and you can slide down that way because it was slightly downhill. Uh, just make sure when you start the obstacle, your hands are low enough or high enough where there's room. Because if you put your hand right in the middle, then your your second hand had no place to go if you tried transitioning to one. So yeah, I actually ended the, up going and, and to and one. The, and the, and the, the switch over too from the you know ju- just from that one too was getting a lot of people because they were uh, most people were kind of like dead hanging it and then trying to to somehow unhook it. And you had like that was a big hook. Like you you had to like lift your arm up like a good like. Uh, three inches of clearance to get the hook off, let alone then be able to quickly but deliberately bring it over, you know, either over or behind the, you know, like the giant spheres at the end of those pipes and then be able to get the height to lift it back in. So the, the, the biggest thing with that obstacle was as soon as you get to that transition point, you, you need to have your, you know, your core tight, your knees up to your chest, and using that to kind of kip yourself up to, kind of, to give you that, you know, extra oomph to make that transition nice and quick. Otherwise, you saw people just, you know, punching the, you know, punching the pipe or just kind of flailing out everywhere. And it was, it was just crazy there on the beginning, especially on the 3K, watching people who had never done it before. It was, it, it was, a, it was an interesting sight to see on that first day. Yeah, absolutely. So did you end up going with both nunchucks onto one pole or did you end up leaving one behind and then hit to hit the bell? I think on the on the 3K, I actually transitioned both and on the 15K, I just did one for the sake of speed. Um we we have an obstacle at Power Park Fitness where we train down here in San Antonio uh called uh, Arm Blaster where it's a it, it's just a like a schedule 20 just PVC pipe and we have to just use a rope to cross it and we just you know essentially like kip ourselves across so I'm already kind of used to the motion so it it wasn't it wasn't too difficult to do the to do the the double switch but the one hand slide definitely was in terms of a speed difference considerably faster and that's one of the things I really like about the championship and Adrian's event series is there's always a couple of obstacles in there that you pr- probably haven't seen before and haven't done. So it requires you to have kind of a good broad base of training and body control that, that tests you versus someone who always comes to the same series, regardless of what series it is. And those are the same obstacles and you get really good at that specific obstacle with that specific spacing and that specific distance and that specific like 
bar rope thickness. So I like the kind of the vari- variance uh, that it has that he has at his event. So and and that's what I just like about like like these you know these particular events in general is that you see you know like you know signature obstacles from every single race and just and also the kind of like creative amalgamations that people think of just for you know noram champs or ocr world championships just to screw with people <laughs> and say oh okay have you ever done anything like this have fun and it's yeah. it's just a blast because in in these races like we really do get to kind of relive you know, like, you know, like the first time that you do a race and you're just like, oh, I don't know what these obstacles are like. I don't know what I'm going to have to do on them or anything like that. And so every single one of these, you know, Noram Champs, OCR World Championships, I always, always, every single time have had a how am I going to do this obstacle quickly and efficiently and not just, you know, same thing, you know, regardless of what the race is that have the same obstacles. So, so I love how they really do keep you on your feet. Absolutely. And the, one of the other things I thought was cool was I saw some a couple of faces that I've never seen outside of Spartan Race show up to this. So Kevin Donahue was there, and VJ Jones were there, were, who both, I'm tracking, never leave Spartan Race. So that was cool to see some, some of the other brands there, uh, their athletes there competing. That it was. All right, and then, so that was Saturday. Sunday, we moved into the team relay. Uh, I was on a team with you and Amy Padgett, so the we conquered the gauntlet pro people and we did the co-ed division so kind of take us through that a little bit well it, it was uh i mean for for those who don't know it's set up into three sections there's a speed section the uh, strength section and then technical so speed uh obviously you run a lot uh strength is the person who's going to be carrying the big things and technical is going to be all of the major obstacles and all that on the the back end of the course once all three legs are finished then all three you know team members complete the last obstacle together and must finish together so i was on the front leg on the speed and so this was you know it had already been raining pretty much the entire day uh, the the previous day, so everyone who wasn't in a pro wave got their race rained on through the entire day. For the team race, it was the exact same. Never stopped raining the entire day. And on the co-ed division, we were the last ones to go off. I think it was at like uh, 9.45 or something like that is when we went. And... For the speed leg, it very much was a an, an energy conservation expenditure gamble again because our first leg was running up that damn mountain for a third time. Uh, so we went up to uh, we had like 1,100 feet of climb. I think we uh, essentially we did the same climb, and for all of you that did the 15k, once you got to that first water station there on the fire road, that was where we made our turn. From there, it was blitzing downhill as hard as you can, getting over to uh, Triumph, the low rig, and the uh, and the quarter pipe obstacle, and just doing your absolute best in this trashed, muddy course to be able to, you know, keep the speed up as much as you can, stay upright, and then worry about, you know, when you put your foot down on this one, the grass gives way, and so your right foot slides three feet rather than staying planted to give you, you know, the direction change you were looking for. So it's 
it's very, very, very much awareness of your body and your environment and really understanding how to navigate and how to adapt to an environment that is trying to kill you the entire time. Uh, and it was just put it down as hard as humanly possible. Uh, me, it was myself and uh, one of the guys from, I think it was Legendary Fitness, uh, the guys in green, he went out like a bat out of hell at the very beginning of the race. Uh, uh, Mark Batris and I, we kind of looked at each other like, well, okay, and we just went for it. Uh, by the time we got to the first walls, I just kind of said to myself, I, I, need to, I need to pull this back, so... Let, uh, let some people get some distance, and I was just kind of hanging out in the middle of the pack for a little bit. Once we were about halfway up the climb, is when I is when I kind of just started to kick it back in gear. To like I said, get up to that first turn where the water station was, come on downhill, and then it was just you know tracking people down uh, as quickly as I possibly could. Uh, once we were getting down to the bottom of the hill to the transition, I could see the hurdles. Then. You know the the name of the game is how fast are you going to make that transition because you got to hand the chip off to the next person which would be you in this case and you know it's it's a chip that's around your wrist so the whole time I'm coming down that last hill which I think is like you know 150 200 feet sprinting down it while I'm wrestling with a Velcro chip around my wrist trying to get that off not eat crap and just kill myself on the way down and still be able to get that to toss the chip to my teammate for a quick transition. So there's just so, so much to manage in the team race because you're going out just as hard as you would in the 3K race, except now you also have to worry about making sure that you're not, you know, sabotaging your teammates start to have that same output on the next section. So after coming down and then throwing it to you, uh, then, yeah, tell us about that wreck bag carry, bro. Yeah, so, I mean, the wreck bag carry was all the way, I mean, I don't know if it was all the way to the top, but it was up, it was larger than it was during the 15K, I'll say that. Um, I think it was, like, another two or something. Uh, they doubled it. They doubled it from was the 15K. Was it really? Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, before the race, I was talking to Leah who uh, was just on the podcast and was on the strength and speed team, you know, and she's complaining about the uphill wreck bag carry. And at least for me, it was like, well, you know, everyone has to do the same carry. So whether it's a hundred yards or 400 yards or a mile to me, it doesn't really matter. Right. Cause everyone has to go through the same thing. So exactly. We all suffer together. Right. So, I mean, when I get to the wreck bag carry, I just stare at the ground mostly and just keep plodding forward. Um, and the, the plan for me, at least, was to not lose any ground and don't don't lose any position. And then our team plan was to have Amy pull us onto the podium because she can do obstacles regardless of the weather, and it was pouring. Or it wasn't pouring. It was raining. So everything was wet. So we were hoping that she would uh, essentially knock us up a couple of spots. Yeah, the whole, um, so, <laughs> the whole time we were just like, please keep raining. Please keep raining. Yeah. <laughs> because all three of us have no problem doing obstacles when they're wet and muddy and everything like that. So we were like, please weather play to our, I guess, advantage uh, or just our that, capabilities, one of the two. Yeah, I mean, that was the plan, and then that's how it played out. You know, we we finished the wreck bag. I did the wreck bag, the farmer's carry with the two, or like I call it the shopping bag carry. Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of reminds me of. <laughs> I will not uh, make another trip to the car. <laughs> Yeah, the, I did the hoist with the wreck bag, and then 
uh, Legaff again, which apparently was getting a lot of people, and that's where we ended up moving into second place. Yep. Um, and then it was like a low crawl, and then it was essentially it was Skitch, like we talked about, but we didn't have the nunchucks, so it was essentially pipe dreams. It was two horizontal pipes. Which yeah, that one. I was, that one you just blew through, and I will say sorry if I was annoying the entire time because I will. <laughs> if you guys watch any of like the the recap live footage, you see someone running next to Evan, pretty much just yelling at him the entire time. That was my job after my leg was finished. No, it was good. It, it kept me motivated, and then we passed off to Amy, and she, you know, she did her thing, crushing through the obstacles. I know Stairway to Heaven, which was wet again, was really challenging for people. Yeah, um, that's where and, uh, that, that's that's actually where um, uh, Alex Walker from uh, from the third place team uh, f- uh, team Hot Wheels Mud Gear actually ended up coming up because I believe uh, they went out that they were actually in first place going through the carries and uh, and Natalie got caught up at Legaff for a little bit and that's where uh, th- so they went from first to fifth there once Alex once she got through and Alex got the chip. She went out like a bat out of hell, and actually, and, and pa- passed one. Uh, I think just during the run, and she passed who was in fourth place at the time at Stairway, because uh, the, uh, the person who was uh, who went for uh, Legendary Fitness, she couldn't get through Stairway, so they actually ended up uh, uh, failing out of that obstacle. Yeah, I I love the team race. Not one, not only because we did well, but also it's the most fun I have at every championship weekend, hands down. Right, like the fast pace, you know, hanging out with your friends, and this one especially, there was just so many position changes over that you know, that pretty short course. Yeah, it, it, was, it was it was just really cool. And on top of that, you know, the it, it sometimes it feels like well, whoever's the fastest is going to win um, because the obstacles aren't hard enough. I think the rain made the obstacles challenging, where it caused those position changes, and you know, to me is kind of like the way obstacle course racing should be with hard obstacles but also running so 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 in case in point uh so on on my leg on the speed leg you know i had to i had to redo the dragon's back triumph obstacle again and uh so so for the for the women's pro heat uh there were there there were like two teams who were the kind of the clear like hey these are going to be the front runners for first place um it was, uh, I think it was Team uh, Team Momstrong uh, who ended up first place, and then uh, it was another team with, well, uh, it was uh, April uh, Chris Roglowski, and I can't remember the name of the third person. I do apologize for that. Uh, for uh, who was their speed leg, and because of the rain, she was not able to actually clear the uh, to clear that obstacle the um the 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 rope for that obstacle was a really fat rope it was like what a three inch rope probably something like that what do you think i don't don't know it was thick yeah but it was well just huge diameter rope and because of the wetness a lot of you know just people were sliding off of it and the so so the team that was you know like slated to be like the real you know one of the front runner competitors ended up banding out at that obstacle during the speed leg because she was unable to make the swing. Um, and it, it's, I, I almost fell off. Like I, I, did, I did my swing, and as soon as I reached out for the cargo net, I started to slide off of it, and I had to just crunch up in, in the fetal position, essentially, to re-grab the rope and then just kind of swing myself back. So it, it, 
it really threw, I mean, everyone off of their game, really. That that rain just really messes with it. And it really did, like you said, made it so exciting just to watch. So, you, you know, after I handed off, it was just crazy seeing everything that was happening, the the, the struggles of people coming through, Heidi coming through on on Legaff, and because cause the day before she was at Legaff for like an hour, and then she got it on her first try on during during the three k when it was still raining and soaking wet and everything. It's oh yeah, man, it, it's it's just I'm kind of reliving it in my mind and just getting rehyped about it. You can probably hear it in my voice a little bit. The adrenaline is back. Yeah, now. You know, with people having problems on a lot of these obstacles when they're wet, do you have any training tips for people to deal with wet obstacles? Uh, well, so so on the on on the uh, the 15k actually, uh, we, we were actually kind of walking around to obstacles, just following some friends and all that, but also trying to coach through. Um, so a lot of it with uh, with obs- with uh, wet obstacles really is body awareness. So working working on that. So understanding how your body swings how it doesn't because if you you know if if you're grabbing a wet pipe that's really thick you can't have your body swing that far out in front of you otherwise it's just going to rip your hand right off of it and so really understanding how to manage yourself like just your presence on the obstacle really is key in terms of wet races where everything is going to be slippery because anyone can, you know, do pull-ups and farmer's carries and things like that and then get good grip strength. But if you're just flailing around on there, there's nothing you can do. No no amount of muscle that you gained is going to help you. You're going to fall off the obstacle every time. It's all about managing your body, managing your swing, and how you can use that to assist you on a wet obstacle rather than be a hindrance. Gotcha. I'm going to agree with that. I think that's a very good pointer. I'm also going to add, when I know something's wet and it's going to be a little bit harder to grab, I use an opposing grip. So I'll have one hand face one way and the other hand face the other way, and that to me gives a better secure grip on the obstacle. Exactly. And then my last piece is that, you know... I guess you could practice dipping your hands in water and then grabbing, like, training in the gym and stuff like that, or at obstacle gyms. Um, I think people are going to be upset that you're getting everything wet. (laughs) I was about to say, if you're at Gold's, then you're that guy all of a sudden. But I will say, it ultimately comes down to grip strength, right? If you have enough grip strength, when it's wet, it's going to be harder to hold onto, but you're still going to have the grip strength to to hold onto it. So I know when I'm grabbing something that's wet, in my mind... I know I'm putting out more force through my hands. Like I, I'm purposely squeezing harder than I normally do to hold on to the obstacle. Agreed so. there. And and I would say that would be more grip endurance also than grip strength because it's the ability to keep that up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always like to scroll through people's Facebook feeds after the these big events and kind of look at some of the comments. So I know a couple people expressed concern for safety on the course. Did you see anything that was unsafe or anything like that? I didn't uh, honestly. I didn't see anything that was glaring. Uh, I I know some people were saying certain things about this obstacle, that obstacle, but I mean it's it, it it's an obstacle course race, guys. Like like we <laughs> we sign death waivers on a weekly basis is just a formality at this point. Um, so, so I, I know like the one of the biggest ones was the uh, what was at the Force Five rig just because it was over uh, it was over pavement instead of you know 
uh, ground, essentially, uh, to where the hay was just kind of getting knocked around a little bit matted. So I, c I can see the argument made there in terms of having like a second or third load to be able to kind of soften it out. But then it kind of gets to the point to where how soft do you make it before someone just, you know, lands and then their ankle uh, catches and then it ends up being a broken ankle rather than just being a bruised butt, you know. But uh, it, it just overall course safety, I didn't see anything that was too glaring. I thought it was all kind of within regs of what we're all typically used to to begin with, uh, but no, but nothing, nothing too major now. I agree. I mean, I think the injury... I mean, unless the obstacle collapses, in my opinion, then it's your it's the racer itself's fault. You know, even the Force 5 rig, yes, it was on over concrete and there was hay there, but, like, your feet are only, like, a foot, or, or they're only, like, two feet off the ground when you're hanging from the, that obstacle. I think the problem comes when, you know, people are losing body control up in the air and you're coming down at some crazy angle, like, you know, shoulder first or... Somehow you end up upside down or something crazy, right? Oh, oh, you mean that body awareness I was talking about? What? what? Exactly. So for me, I think it's always on the racer. Like I said, unless the obstacle physically comes crashing down, then you can blame the obstacle. But other than that, to me, it's you know, it's all about knowing your own limitations uh, and having the appropriate strength to go through the course. Yeah, 100% agree. All right. Uh, so and other than that, any final improvements for Adrian and his team? They, do, I mean, oh man, it's if if this were kind of like normal circumstances, I think I probably could uh, think of one or two. But the amount of challenges that they had thrown at them, I, I I'm just amazed it was pulled off at the extraordinarily high level that it was. Um, I mean, I, I was uh, speaking to him in terms, you know, like I mentioned earlier, obstacles that were being finished the day of the race because supplies never arrived and they had to build them from scratch, or uh, or th there was there was a uh, there were multiple weddings going on at the venue also while we were racing, and so at one of the places where a wedding was going to happen, they said, hey, you can't have that obstacle built there because it's an eye shot, so. After the 15k was done, they actually had to tear down like two or three obstacles as soon as possible because a wedding was going to happen there the next morning on Sunday, and they the obstacles just couldn't be there. Period. So, what they were able to do with the resources they had, with the weather that they had, just the pouring rain the entire time, just sabotaging them. I I, I can't give I can't give that entire build crew enough props for what they were able to do for us yeah i think they headed out of the park every single year you know unlike a tough motor spartan where they're putting on events every weekend so they have time to refine their product over you know multiple trials they do one essentially one race a year or now i guess they do a little bit more now they do two or three depending think, if you want to count I think four, your, uh, south african european enduro world noram so five yeah i think some of the other crews actually build that uh, those other ones though you, so you are correct on that one yeah it's not exactly the same they're it's more like a it's kind of almost like a franchise type so, thing so, so we'll give adventure proper two yeah two a year there yeah adventure proper two yeah so you know there's a lot of challenges there and they have to you know people are coming up expecting this to be a championship race so they have to hit it out of the park every single time and from the let's see three championship world championships u.s and noram i've been to I thought they've done an absolutely great job uh, with all of them. Uh, much agreed on that. 
Yeah. So if you if you're not if you haven't been in OCRWC or a NORAM, I would definitely put one on your schedule. If uh, England's a little bit too far to travel to, head to Stratton next year. It's not a you know, fly into Boston or Albany, and then you can just drive up. It's a pretty quick drive. Exactly. And uh, make sure you give yourself more than uh, a four-hour window if you're going to drive from Stratton to Boston to make your flight. You know, just just a, just a personal <laughs> piece of advice what? for anyone there who's not just struggling to make a flight and not TSA pre-check and things of that effect. Yeah, don't do that. T- to be fair, I did not think we were going to end up in second. Um and on the podium of the pro co-ed. True, so, same here. <laughs> uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, I figured we, we had an outside shot, shot at squeezing into third, uh, based on, and that was kind of once it started raining, I thought that. I was like, yeah, I think we can squeeze into third. But, like, Alex and Mark Botres and um, Natalie, like, not to put myself down, but <laughs> as far as running speed, those three are way faster, I'd say, than the three of us. So Yeah, um, Mark, Mark is, he's a blur. I, I don't. I, I don't understand how how he's able to run that fast for that long. The 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 man put on a running clinic on the speed section. I will say. So, yeah, very impressive. Great race, um, and frankly, for you know, as an ultra distance guy, getting on the podium of a North American Championships for the pro division, even uh, in pro coed, was about the best thing ever <laughs> for me. So I'm still kind of riding a high from that from this past race weekend. Yep, and then and then next week it's like, oh yeah, back to work. Here we go. <laughs> right. So one of the other things that was kind of interesting was Ryan Atkins actually came away with four medals in the three events because he did pro men and then finished pro men and basically raced back onto the course and did a uh, we're talking pro relay men and then did a pro coed uh, with Lindsay and, um, and Nicole Nicole Miracle Miracle yeah. So he ended up do- doing two pro relay events what were your thoughts on on that like should that be allowed or I'm, uh, like the 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 fact that it was that it was pro all the way meets you know registration regs and all that but I, like uh, i also think it's one of those like choose you know like, like you you run a race choose you know choose co-ed choose you know pro men pro women kind of thing like that just because you know it's it 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 is kind of you know just double dipping. I mean, if you have the athletic capability for it, and the rules do do allow it, so I'm not I can't make any 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 stances on that because I'm not an official for adventure in any way. If they chose to allow it, then they allowed it, and that's just you know that's just what it is. And Ryan does what he does best, which is throw everything on the line and make things happen. Yeah, very impressive performance from him. I thought it, based off the way the rules were written, I thought it fe- fell within the rules, so I didn't have any issue with it. Um, I was a little, I was like, oh, come on, Ryan. Like, save some money for the rest of us here. <laughs> Give us but, one. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> but still, uh, it was to me, it was almost worth seeing just because seeing someone put out that level of performance four times a month weekend was was pretty astonishing to see. It was impressive. And and I think he was actually supposed to be the strength leg on He was. On, on the on the co-ed. I could be wrong on that, but I believe he was supposed to be the strength on that one. And the 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 speed portion, I mean, it took him like I think it was like 23 minutes to do the speed portion even. And uh, and and when that kind of became a thing and then the other uh, the the pro men having to finish up 
especially finishing the way that they did where both the first and second team were on the, the last obstacle wall together and then having to come back over. I, I believe him going to uh, to technical was actually kind of like a last-minute sub because the team wasn't done by the time Nicole was already finished and, and, <laughs> and, and needing to hand off to the next person. Yeah, I'm tracking the same thing. We've been running our mouths for a while. Let's hit up a couple more questions before we call it a day. Sure. So we're going to switch away from... Noram and talk about Mudrun Guide. So, what's your official role for Mudrun Guide? I am the 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 crew chief, crew manager, whatever the heck you want to call it. Uh, so, all of so we have a, a lot of contributors who really that like they're they're like the lifeblood of Mudrun Guide. The the, uh, the people who were able to get out to races, who can you know give us coverage, give us race recaps, everything that's kind of going on around the industry because. You know, as, as we know, there's different races. There's uh, there's different races going on at the same time at different geographical locations, and the way the way that this is is that there is no way that any one set of people or team of even like seven or ten could really you know cover OCR as a whole. And so so I'm the person who gets our contributors access. Uh, to the races, uh, that, and, and, but they're the ones who really put the footwork in quite literally by uh, being at the events, running them, covering them uh, both live through like Instagram or Facebook Live, anything like that, and then following up with you know written articles about them, which has helped some races in terms of I you know for ones that were smaller and and needed some more growth, got some more eyes on them, some more registration over the years, and also kind of helped point out some opportunities for other even existing franchises for uh, either lack of obstacles uh, or th- things being too easy, too hard, anything like that. So it, it's really done a good job of kind of keeping everyone honest, and we couldn't do it without all of our contributors. So to that, to to them, all of you, thank you. Yeah, I use Mudrun Guide to find all my races. The cool thing about on their race finder is you can not only find, you can look for a specific series, you can look for a specific state with like a you know radius range, or you, you put in your zip code and it gives you like you know 200 miles or whatever, 400 miles to find races but you can also look at it in calendar mode so if you know like i definitely want to do a race this weekend but i don't know what's available you know you don't have to go check a dozen websites looking at different series you just click on that one website and it brings up every race obstacle course race that they know of yeah we're, we're, in those we're like the expedia of ocr it is phenomenal and then obviously i'm a big fan i i write for you guys so i put a ton of content into there Yay. So, yeah so how did you get involved in muttering guide initially uh well, okay, so the the very first year of OCR World Championships in Ohio, uh, I got there, you know, like uh, like two days in advance, I think, and I just kind of went to the venue to check it out and just saw that they were still building, you know, <laughs> which is the topic of earlier, and I just said, hey, what do you guys need? And so Brett was out there, uh, you know, at d- d- the finish line area, so I was helping, you know, build obstacles and all that the you know during that first year did it again the uh the next year in 2015 and uh when 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 mud uh when a mud run guide started to expand uh you know that particular year then it was just you know the the time spent there i believe at, at ocr worlds just working with brett just communicating with him the whole time he just kind of reached out to me and just said hey we need someone to handle our crew is that something you'd be interested in and i said yeah why the hell not man let's do this so it was a 
it's pretty pretty cut and dry. It's kind of one of those stories of you know of it's who you know, but I think it was just also the fact that I was out there putting in work with everyone next to him that just kind of you know showed that I can do some things, and there I went. Awesome. So you've been involved in OCR for quite some time now. What is it that keeps you coming back? Uh, it's it's a playground. That, that's that's all that's all this is. I, I mean, when when you really look at it, OCR is the grown up version of what we all did as kids. We ran around a playground, we jumped, we threw things, we climbed things, we swung around, and we had a blast. That's that. That's what we get to do. I mean, of course, we have to pay for it now because you know it's in a it's in a big race fashion and all that. But it's just a giant playground for grownups to go around and just have an absolute blast. Good answer. What are your plans for the rest of 2019? Uh, well, well, rest. Oh, sorry, 2018. Yeah. 2018 into 2019. Oh, I'm sorry. with you. So the so the rest of 2018, I'll probably be hitting Savage Race in Dallas in September, just to kind of keep the legs going, and uh, then gonna be doing uh, OCR Worlds outside of London and kind of turning that into like a whole like European racecation thing. It's gonna be amazing. My wife is looking forward to it for all the Harry Potter things we can do in England. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was just I was just in England earlier this year for Toughest Mudder UK. So that's what we did. We did Toughest Mudder UK and then did Ireland for ten days. Nice. So we did a lot. So and it worked out well, right? Because you, I race hard at Toughest Mudder, and then I need some time to recover anyway. So I go on vacation. And if, and if you're going there, you get to go to the Guinness and Jameson, you know, distilleries. You know, it's, it's, it's a good it's a good thing. I I did I did go there, and I don't drink, but I made an exception for uh, two times. So the, those are the two alcoholic drinks I've had in the last, I don't know, four years, three years, something like that. Well, doing so. it right from the source. Right. Speaking of Ireland, I also went to someplace else in Ireland, which I thought was really cool, which kind of brings us into the next, next topic. So on the off the western coast of Ireland is actually, if you've seen Star Wars The Last Jedi or uh, The Force Awakens, where Luke is hiding out, that like island in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. is actually an island off of the west coast of ireland um called saint michael's it's actually an old monastery from like 600 a.d um and kind of the cool story behind that is you know the monks thought they were at the edge of the world right because america hadn't been discovered so they're literally quote unquote on the front lines of like spiritual warfare like going to the front the front lines of battle and you know praying against the devil and for god um so that, that's what those little concrete or concrete those stone huts that you see in the movie are and we did like a boat tour of the island which was really cool to see that the you can actually go onto the island too but the weather has to be right and it's expensive um so they actually weren't bringing people onto the island when we went out there so we just did a boat tour we just went around the island and saw it and i know you're a big uh star wars nerd uh so am i so uh before we let you go Let's nerd out for a second. So, give me your favorite uh, Star Wars movie. You know, ah, oh, man, that's that that's that's a little difficult. I I I do have to, I I actually really enjoyed the the uh, the, the the Force Awakens. Just now, in 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 terms of just kind of rekindling the uh, the magic of of Star Wars. But I mean, nothing is ever going to top Empire. I, I don't think anyone would would want to really debate 
<laughs> a Star Wars movie is better than Empire. So, yeah, that's that's always going to be the, the, the gold standard there. But I am looking forward to seeing what happens. I think it comes out this year? This year, Christmas, Episode Nine. Or it could be... No, wait. Uh, I don't even remember at this point. Too many, too many dang movies. Uh, even even all the Marvel stuff and everything. I just picked up Infinity War yesterday, so I would be watching that tonight as soon as I get home too. Nice, nice. I'm. Uh, I grew up loving Jedi, so I'm. Uh, I'd say I'm a last a Return of the Jedi fan. Oh I'm man, the, 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 was it the Ewoks that got you? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's the it's the X wings, the Ewoks. It's the uh, the opening scene. It's the whole thing. And I like a happy ending, right? Like I don't know, good guys win, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, it, it is. It is considerably better than the, the the than Empire, where it's just like, oh man, we just got our asses handed to us. Crow, roll that is, yeah, <laughs> that is fairly unique about Empire. I mean, how many movies end and it's like, well, everything's poor, everything's gone poorly. You know, or one of our main characters is frozen, and you know, everyone else is captured, and someone just lost a hand. So yeah, toodles. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> the end. <laughs> You're like, what the? So, I remember that was cool. That was actually one of the things that like made a lot of people mad uh, when like when like the Lord of the Rings movie started to come out. When they just said, "Oh man, I went to the theater for three hours and they didn't even have an ending." Dude, you know it's a trilogy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when Star Wars came out, I mean, there was no, uh, there was nothing that said that there was going to be a Return of the Jedi. So theoretically, people going into that could have thought that was the last movie yeah well well, that, that was the thing so like the first movie it was it, it was meant to be just a one project and then uh it turned into a culture phenomenon so george lucas was just like i'm a i'm a ride this money train y'all <laughs> and went from there clearly a good call all right before we let you go uh, give me a week in, in your training. What does your training look like for those of us that want to know a little bit more about um, how you train and prepare for OCRs? Oh, man. it's uh, Well, I I train – I actually train directly with uh, Yancey Culp. So my training actually kind of varies just kind of based off of communi- communication with him, how I'm feeling, my schedule – uh, because I, I, you know, I'm I'm a full-time IT manager. I'm actually in the office right now. I also have, you know, I work for Mud Run Guide. I have another part-time job, and you know, I'm married with dogs. So, free time, let alone training time, is difficult to come by. But typically, you'll see me waking up around 5 a.m. and get, getting my main workout on, uh, usually by six for uh, an hour and a half to two and a half hours going for a trail run at lunch, which is usually about an hour long, and, you know, just rinse and repeat pretty much Tuesday through Saturday. Um, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you're going to, I'm going to have much lower intensity, kind of longer cardio sessions. And uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, those are, those are going to be very high intensity, lots of going aerobic, anaerobic, mixing in strength training, so a lot of uh, heart rate management, which is something that is extraordinarily important in OCR because you have to be able to have, you know, 175, 100, you know, heart rate coming into an obstacle, bang out the obstacle as hard as you can, you're going to be coming off of that in like the high 190s, and then how do you get your heart rate back down, you know, into the 170s so you can continue that pace of a run again, and so mixing in that extremely high pace anaerobic cardio work and strength training and then also mixing it in with 
uh, with, with aerobic based training kind of through the week kind of kind of helps train your body to get used to the intense rigors of OCR and the obstacles and then everything that has to go in between really. So it's, it's an insane amount of running and three days a week mix in that really hard, fast paced running with a lot of different dynamic strength obstacles, hangs, pulls, uh, I mean, switch grips on, on bars, deadlifts, farmers carries, you name it. Uh, just, don't don't get into the rut of you know just like your standard weightlifting and all that. You need to keep your training as dynamic as the sport is. So so after you've run a couple of races, then you kind of understand what exercises you need to do and what exercises you actually need to stay away from. Because we're not out there to lift weights and get strong and to build a physique. We're out there to have strong dynamic movement to be able to put our bodies in any situation and be able to overcome. So that's what you really want to look at when you're training for OCR. Cool. Some good advice there. Before we go, any final shout outs you want to give sponsors, family, friends, etc. Uh, I mean, first off, I mean, my wife, Nicole, thank you for putting up <laughs> with all of this craziness, me waking you up early in the mornings and whatnot. Um, I mean, any and all of my sponsors, power park fitness here in Texas for, just giving me a place to train to to just always be sharp on obstacles uh marina sports mud gear uh beat performer every everyone uh rec bag that has helped us out uh, uh through conquer the gauntlet pro team i mean everything that that you guys have ha- have been able to work with us with have you know been able to help make me a better athlete because of either gear or training equipment and i can't be more thankful for it so thank you all and just my friends and teammates in arms, let's go out there and put some work in, guys. Awesome. I'm going to give a quick shout-out because I have more content coming out than I can properly keep track of. Um, we just released an article on Dry Robe uh, announcing the partnership with uh, between Dry Robe and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team, which has been going on for a while, but the article just published this past week. So if you head over to the Dry Robe blog, that's on there. I did an interview with Rock Tape, so I have an interview with Rock Tape on the Rock Tape blog, so head over there. Mudrun Guide, I have a couple more articles coming out, like I always do, specifically for Endure the Gauntlet, if you're interested in knowing how I trained and prepared for uh, my 48-hour obstacle course run occurring in Tulsa the weekend of August 24th to 26th. There's going to be two articles coming out there. One's about the physical preparation side, and the other one's about the mental preparation side, which is I would say more important than the actual physical preparation side for an event like that. So head over there. There's some good stuff coming out there. And then also I've got some reviews coming out on Motoring Guide for things uh, related to atomic climbing holds and Elite Ops energy strips. So the Elite Ops energy strips are the caffeinated like Listerine strips you put on your tongue. Uh, code SS10 gives you 10% off your order anytime you order one. And if you... A lot of the brands that Matt mentioned, if you head over to the Conquer the Gauntlet Protein page and click on our uh, banner picture, or if you head over to ctgproteam.com and click on sponsors, we have discount codes for a lot of that stuff. So save yourself some money, get some discounts, order some great product, and we will see you at the start line. Have a good one. Matt, anything else? Yep. All right. We'll, uh, We'll catch up with you later. Thank you.